Let's ask God for his help. Gracious Father, we thank you that your word is living and active as it is from you, the true and living God. So, Father, we pray that you would cut our hearts and that you would, Father, cause our hearts to respond with trust and obedience, that we would hear and do your word. Please use me to speak your word faithfully and boldly and clearly for the glory of Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, you learn what is important to someone by their prayers. You learn what is essential to someone by what they pray just before they die. You know, if I was sitting with you at your deathbed, I wonder what you would pray for. Because these things would show me what is absolutely essential to you. I would be able to see right into your heart by the things you pray for. You would show me the things of absolute importance to you. I think the same is true of Jesus. We have arrived at the hour of Jesus' death. This is where John's gospel has been leading us to. This is the moment that Jesus has been preparing his disciples for. In this last meal they share to, together, the cross finally awaits Jesus in a matter of hours, where he will die for the sin of the world. Jesus will soon leave his beloved disciples and return to his Father. And now Jesus, as it were, prays his deathbed prayer. And we see right into his heart. And it's breathtaking. This prayer is glorious. This prayer is full of loving, other-centeredness. This prayer gives us an insider's view of the relationship between Jesus the Son and God his Father. And what is amazing is that in the hour of Jesus' humiliating and lonely death on the cross, Jesus was praying for you and for me. Now this prayer is like a beautiful tapestry. You can stand back and take it in you can take in its beauty at a glance, but you can also observe it closely, looking at every stitch and seeing its significance. Unfortunately, today we only have time to stand back and glance at its beauty, but it would be well worth your while to look more closely at this prayer of Jesus, to examine the stitches in your own time. We're going to look at this prayer in three parts. Firstly, Jesus prays about his relationship with his Father. Secondly, Jesus prays for his disciples. And thirdly, Jesus prays for other believers. Firstly, Jesus prays about his relationship with his Father. To create a tapestry, you need a loom. That's where you start. And the loom is the wooden frame on which you apply your thread. And the first thing you need to do is to warp the loom. And the warps are the threads that run from the top of the loom to the bottom of the loom. And these warps are the foundation of the rest of your tapestry. And what Jesus is doing in the first part of this prayer is that he is warping the loom when he prays about his relationship with his Father. The relationship between Jesus the Son and God the Father lays the foundation for the rest of the prayer. 
Without this relationship, there is no tapestry. And two things I want you to notice that Jesus prays about. Jesus warps the loom, as it were, with glory and love. Well, firstly, glory. Verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Verse 10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. You know, when you think of the word glory, think of God's goodness. Think of God's splendor, his awesome majesty. Think of Moses in Exodus 33, when God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock so that God's glory could pass by him without destroying Moses. Otherwise, Moses would have been destroyed and he only glimpses a passing glory of God. Think of the prophet Isaiah as he stands in the throne room of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6 when he witnesses the seraphim and God on his throne, and he is terrified because he is a sinner and he's seen the holy and glorious God. This awesome glory, we're told in verse 5, was shared between God the Father and God the Son before they created anything else. Isn't that amazing that we get to see a glimpse before the creation of the world? But this glory was also witnessed in the earthly ministry of Jesus. In verse 4, the works and the words of Jesus brought glory to his Father. And all of this is leading to the climax of this glory, so much so that Jesus prays for this glory in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, Jesus prays, that your Son may glorify you. And what's unexpected for the disciples is not that Jesus prays for glory, but where they will see the glory of the Son and the Father, and that is on the cross. Jesus said to them back in chapter 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Then he spoke about a single seed needing to die, speaking of his death on the cross, in order that that seed might produce many seeds who live. Jesus dies in order that those who know him might have eternal life. Verse 3. You see, the Father and the Son don't want to keep this glory to themselves. They want to share this glory. Look at verse 24 in speaking of those who believe in Jesus. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. What an incredible verse. Jesus had glory before the creation of the world and now he's going to be glorified on the cross in order to open up the way for those the Father gives him. Think of the glory that Isaiah and Moses had glimpsed. Jesus is opening a way for us to somehow share in this glory, the glory of the Father and the Son. It's staggering, isn't it? 
But verse 24 also points us to the second thing I want you to notice in this prayer between the Son and the Father, and that is love. Jesus warps the loom not just with glory, but underneath this glory is love. Love is driving this. Notice again what existed before anything else existed, before you and I and the rest of creation existed. God the Father, Son and Spirit loved each other. You loved me before the creation of the world, verse 24. Look at the beautiful other-centered relationship between the persons of the Trinity, between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. There has always been other-centered love. You know, sometimes we think that somehow God needs us. You know, God needs us. He, he made us so he could love us. He needs us. But this verse tells us he didn't need us. God was complete without us. And yet how mind-blowing it is that the Father and the Son still want to include us in this love. Verse 23, Jesus says, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. For God so loved the world, a world that was made through his Son, a world that hated his Son, a world that he sent his Son into so that he might die for the sin of the world so that those in the world who believe in the Son might know eternal life. The Father loves the Son, and both the Father and the Son love the world so much that, they were, that they're willing to offer love to the world. You know uh, when someone opens their heart to you and shares something incredibly personal, Sometimes you feel like you are, you're standing on sacred ground. It is a great privilege for someone to open, to share their heart with you. And think of what Jesus is sharing with us in this prayer. We are getting a glimpse into the nature of the relationship between the Son and the Father. Even before the creation of the world. We are standing on sacred ground. You know, this prayer of Jesus is often called the high priestly prayer, where Jesus intercedes on our behalf before God. But, but I think that's not the heart of this prayer. The heart of this prayer is listening to the Son talk to the Father. To speak about their glory and their love. It is so humbling. And it is absolutely stunning to think that the Father and the Son who shared eternal glory and love would even for a moment want to include us in this glory and love. And it's stunning not only because they didn't have to, it's stunning because of how undeserving we are. When Jesus prayed to his Father, he had you in mind. Think about that until you are humbled with thanks. 
But the start of Jesus' prayer raises questions. How will a sinful world know eternal life? How will a sinful world come to share in glory and love unless they come to know the Son? Well, the Father and the Son have a plan, and Jesus has more to pray because of this plan. Here's our second point. Jesus prays for his disciples. You know, after you warp the loom, what you have to do after that is you begin to weave the wefts. Try and say that quickly. If the warps are the threads that run up and down the loom, the wefts are the threads that run across the warps. And the wefts go over and under the warps. The warps hold the wefts in place. And the wefts in this tapestry of Jesus' prayer is what Jesus prays for others, his disciples. And not only them, but those who will come to believe in their message. These wefts are held in place by the glory and the love of the Father and the Son. And let's look at these prayers one by one. Jesus prays for the protection of the disciples. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be, as, may be one as we are one. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus is returning to his Father, and he will no longer be able to protect the disciples himself. Jesus has chosen them out of the world, but now he is leaving them in the world, a world that is hostile to them as much as it is hostile to Jesus. And the unity of the disciples will be under threat by the world and Satan's hostility. And so Jesus prays for them to be protected by his name. Without this unity, the disciples cannot fulfill their task. They've been given the task to proclaim and testify to Jesus. And this prayer of protection has the ultimate purpose of showing the world that the loving unity that exists between the disciples has come from the loving unity between the Father and the Son. Well, Jesus prays for the disciples' joy. Verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Since telling the disciples that he will be leaving them to return to his father. The disciples have been gripped by confusion and fear. And soon when the disciples witness his crucifixion on the cross, the disciples will be overwhelmed with grief and confusion. And Jesus is asking that God will turn this grief into joy that the terror and the fear of the cross would be replaced with lasting joy when they understand the love and the glory of the cross. And the disciples do experience this joy when the Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost. Peter the timid, the one who denies Jesus three times, becomes Peter the tiger, who preaches with conviction and courage. Jesus prays for the disciples' sanctification, verse 17. 
Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. To be sanctified is to be set apart. Set apart from the sinful purposes of the world for God's purposes. And we're told in verses 7 and 8 that the disciples obeyed the words of Jesus. They accepted the words given from the Father and the Son. And it, it is this truth of Jesus that sanctifies them or sets them apart. It's not based on their own effort to sanctify themselves. If it were up to the effort of the disciples, then why would Jesus be praying for them to be sanctified? God's sanctification can only come about through him revealing the truth of Jesus to the hearts of the disciples. Jesus says he sanctifies himself, and that means for Jesus it is to set himself apart to do his Father's will right to the very end. I always thought it was easy growing up in church. I thought it was easy for Jesus to do his will, to die on the cross. But it's not, because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus actually prays that God might take away the cup of suffering, the cross that he's about to face. Yet Jesus also prays in that prayer, yet not my will, but your will. That is Jesus sanctifying himself, even to the point of death for the sin of the world. And Jesus wants the disciples to be sanctified to the very end until they are with him in glory. Jesus is sending them into the world, verse 18, so that they can proclaim the message of Jesus to a world that hates him, so that others too might believe the message of Jesus like they have. So this prayer is full of mission, isn't it? Just as Jesus was sent on a mission by his Father, so Jesus is sending his disciples on a mission. And Jesus wants them to be faithful to this mission. Did God answer this part of Jesus' prayer? And the answer is clearly yes. You know, when you read the book of Acts and you see what the Holy Spirit did in the apostles, and to see how they were protected and sanctified as they testified to Jesus. To see how they sang with joy when they were imprisoned and they counted it an honour to be beaten and flogged for Jesus. God answered this prayer. The Apostle John was protected and sanctified by God as he wrote this gospel. And John tells us why he writes this gospel in, in John 20, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Jesus, we might have life in his name. God answers Jesus' prayer. But you see, the tapestry is not yet finished. Jesus prays for one more group who will believe the message of Christ. And we are included in this group. Jesus prays for us. The third point, Jesus prays for other believers. Jesus prays for the unity 
of other believers. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In these verses, we see the language of oneness. The Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. And and if we had more time, we could unpack this further. But at the very least, this oneness speaks of a deep unity. But this oneness extends to the Son and those who believe in the Son. Verse 23, Jesus says, I in them. Jesus prays that this oneness would also be present in the believers with each other. Verse 21, that all of them may be one. But notice that there is a further purpose of this unity, and that purpose is mission. In verse 23, that the world will know the love of the Father and the Son. The world hates Jesus enough to crucify him, but if God answers the prayer of Jesus, then the world will be able to see the oneness of the followers of Jesus and trace that loving unity back to the source of that love, and that is the loving unity between the Son and the Father. Now, that that raises the question of whether we see that unity today, doesn't it? Uh, you could be forgiven for thinking that there are so many, so many different, disparate branches of the church, so many different denominations, so many churches that are different. Has God really answered this prayer? And one thing I want to remind you of in this passage is that unity comes through truth. Sanctify them by your truth, Jesus prayed. It is only by believing the word of the apostles, the word given to them by the Son and the Father, that we can be one with other believers. There is no unity otherwise without truth. So we cannot be united for the sake of unity. We cannot do that at the cost of truth. But if we confess the truth of the gospel of Christ, then we ought to say, regardless of our denominational backgrounds, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. In Galatians 3, Paul says, So in Jesus Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We just sang that. And that was quite a radical thing for Paul to say in his day, for there were many dividing walls between people, walls of hostility. But you see, when you confess Christ, Christ becomes your identity. He is your worth. And and Paul is not saying uniformity. You know, we're not all identical. But it's unity. The walls that divide us are no longer there, abolished by the gospel of Christ. 
Think of our own congregation here as we gather here today. It doesn't matter to Christ whether you are single or married or divorced. It doesn't matter what type of visa you hold here in Australia. It doesn't matter what age or race or gender. Through faith in Christ, we find our common identity as children of God. Yes, God has answered this prayer. Even if we don't always do a good job of living out this unity. Jesus prays that those who believe will be with him forever. Verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And this is a prayer from the other side of the cross. Upon the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of those who trust in Jesus, the final destination for those God has given to Jesus is that they would share in his eternal loving glory, that they would be with Jesus forever, that they would be in his Father's house with the rooms that he has prepared for them. And we will not be destroyed by the glory of Jesus. We will delight in the glory of Jesus. This tapestry is almost finished, but not yet. As we have seen, God has answered much of Jesus' prayer, but God is still answering this prayer. Look at the last two verses, verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. There is still a world that doesn't know the Father and the Son. There is still a world that the Father and the Son love. And Jesus is continuing to make himself known to people in the world. Jesus, to this very day, is calling people to God through the message of the gospel. Jesus, to this day, is still giving the gift of his Holy Spirit so that those who trust in him might live in him. And as people are called out of the world by God and brought into the love and the glory of Christ, God continues to answer this prayer of Jesus and more and more is added to this beautiful tapestry. Let me finish with a few things to think about. Friends, the first thing is that Jesus prayed for you. You know, I'm, I'm always encouraged when people pray for me, when people tell me that they pray for me, because it is so humbling to know that people have brought me before the presence of the true and living God. They have asked God for things on my behalf. It is humbling. And how humbling is it then to think that the Son of God prayed for you? This week, when you feel that following Jesus, that trusting and obeying him is impossibly hard, I want you to think about this. 
in the hour of his death with the enormous weight of sin, your sin and mine, being heaped on him on the cross. In the hours before that cross, Jesus knelt before God and he prayed for you. And he prayed for the impossible, that you would share in his glory and his love forever. And then Jesus got off his knees and he walked to the cross and he did the impossible. He bore the cost of your sin and your death that you would know eternal life by believing in his name. And that is why God can answer Jesus' prayer for you. So this week, I don't want you to forget that he knows how hard it is for you. And that is why he prayed for you. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. For those of you who have been coming to this church for a while, maybe in the last few months, maybe just this year, maybe you have been exploring Christianity this year, maybe you've been starting to read the Bible, or maybe you've been coming back to God after a period of time away from God, and you've been hearing the message of Jesus, you've been getting to know Jesus, I want to ask you, are you ready to believe in his message? You see, what you heard today is that Jesus also prayed for you. He prayed for you to believe in this message. And what Jesus said in this prayer today is that there is no other way to share in God's love. There is no other way to have eternal life with God except by believing in the name of Jesus. You see, I, I don't think it's by accident that you're here today. I, I don't think that it's some coincidence that you clicked on our website, that you talked to a friend who brought you here today. Jesus prayed for you. And God answered his prayer. Believe in him and you will not regret it. For those of you who have believed in Jesus for some time, I, I want to ask you this question. Do you share the heart of Jesus? You know, when you look at this prayer, does it take your breath away? That the eternal Son and the eternal Father did not keep love and glory to themselves. You know, this is not what they're saying to each other. Why, why should we share what we have? Why, why should we love a world that hates us? That's not the Son and the Father, is it? Do you share the same other-centeredness of the Father that loved you so much that he sent his only Son? And do you share the heart of the Son that sent his disciples into a world to testify about him? And do you share the heart of Jesus who prayed for you in his most desperate hour? You see, you cannot read this prayer and be a selfish Christian because that is not the heart of Christ. 
And I want you to look at your life honestly. And if what you see is a selfish heart, then you need to meditate on this prayer. You need to go home. You need to read it again and again and ask God to open your heart to understand this prayer until your heart melts with thankfulness. And then what I want you to do is to learn to pray like Jesus. Pray with his heart. Pray for a world that is lost. Pray for those yet to believe in Jesus. And have a heart for mission, just as Jesus did. Share the message of Christ that the disciples shared so that others might believe. God is still answering that prayer by bringing people to believe in Jesus. And I'm not saying that if you're a missionary. I'm not, I'm not saying that if you like me, a pastor, or you work in ministry. I'm, I'm saying that to all of us, whatever station in life, whatever age, whatever level of health, you are to share the heart of Jesus wherever you are by sharing the gospel of Jesus. See, God can answer this prayer also through you. But you won't do it unless you share the heart of Christ. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son might glorify you. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Let's pray. Gracious Father God, we are so humbled that we get to glimpse your relationship with Jesus, your Son. That before the creation of the world, you loved each other and you shared the glory. Gracious Father, we thank you for Jesus, that he would pray for us in this desperate hour of his death. Gracious Father, we thank you, Father, for his prayer of protection, of sanctification, of joy, that we would share in his glory, that we would be one as you and Jesus are one. Gracious Father God, please help us to believe in Jesus. Please help us to have his heart, that we would pray like him, that we would proclaim the message of the gospel like him, and that you would continue to hear his prayer and to answer his prayer for your glory and the glory of Jesus, your Son. In his name, amen.